This is The Defrag. I'm James Parkinson. For years now, autonomous vehicles have been called the next big innovation in the automotive and transport industries. We're being promised a future where we'll be able to hail a driverless taxi or sit back and relax while our own car drives itself to our destination. While true self-driving cars are still many years away, real-world testing has been happening for some time now, and many cars on the market today have some kind of automation or driver-assist feature. As this technology is being developed, the biggest question regulators are grappling with is who is responsible in a crash involving a self-driving car, the driver or the manufacturer? So let me start with an example. Let's imagine you are at home, you're lying on the floor, you're doing some yoga and you've got a robot vacuum cleaner that uh, uses uh, an AI computer vision system. Henry Fraser is a research fellow in law, accountability and data science at Queensland University of Technology. And it poodles over to you and it sucks up your hair that's still attached to your head and, and it hurts you, right? In, in some sense, that robot is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to vacuum hair on the floor. But, you know, for, for whatever reason, it didn't recognise that the hair was attached to a person. Now, this is something that's actually happened. It happened in South Korea about five years ago. So the question is... You know, who is accountable? Should we hold the manufacturer of that device accountable, uh, legally liable for the, for the injury uh, or the software developer that developed the object detection uh, system that's in there? Or should you bear some responsibility? You know, how do we think about these problems, which are very complicated, which involve multiple parties, which involve systems that have a degree of autonomy and unpredictability in them? Um, you know, so it's absolutely, I find it fascinating because there are just so many challenges um, for the law to kind of catch up to this new and developing technology. Mm. So autonomous vehicles are a developing technology and still require input from drivers, uh, hence why we're seeing crashes related to autonomous or semi-autonomous features. When it comes to AI-based systems in these cars, how much control do manufacturers have over how all of that kind of unfolds and how that works in practice? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really great question. They have some control, right? These systems are, or, or some of the systems, uh, for example, object detection, uh, computer vision systems are, are based on deep neural networks and machine learning. And in some sense, those, uh, those systems are unpredictable by design. The whole point is that they learn from data and then they generalize what they learn from that data. But we don't know in advance, we don't say in advance, if you get precisely these uh, lighting conditions and these traffic conditions and this kind of uh, behavior from other drivers and pedestrians on the road, this is what you should do. No, that's not how it works. Um, it's sort of an emergent, um, it's an emergent set of um, behaviors that, that is based on all of these complex inputs. So they can't directly control, you know, 10 years hence exactly what their car is going to do, but what they can control. Um, is the process of testing, of validation, of uh, sampling the data, of monitoring um, how these cars perform and, and having systems and kind of society-wide systems in place for making sure that they're as safe as they should be. And I guess one of the most prominent examples of this is Tesla and their, uh, quote, full self-driving feature, which has received a lot of coverage and this is all about, you know, trying to put this technology out on the road. The AI is learning through, you know, real world practice. And it's gathering this data and learning how things work on the road. To you, is that a kind of murky situation 
legally when you have this you know technology that's still developing and is not in a fully complete state but it's kind of being tested in a real world scenario yeah absolutely it is a murky situation and i think if there are accidents in those scenarios you in some sense until we have very clear uh, standards um you know it's going to be on a case-by-case basis whether that accident was within an acceptable bound of risk you know whether they've taken enough care um, all things considered, to, to avoid that sort of scenario or to avoid harm or whether they have it. You know, so I think, you know, we've got these examples in the US where it's pretty clear cut at this point that um, Teslas are not great at picking up uh, police cars that are stopped uh, on, the, in, on a, in a lane in a highway with flashing lights. For some reason, the flashing lights kind of confuses the object detection and they, they have this pattern of about a dozen or more accidents where they smash into a police car, right? For the first one, you might say, look, for them to, in advance, train the system and, and detect that one sort of uh, uh, aberrant sort of situation, maybe that's a big ask, right? Because there's millions of, uh, of variations and permutations of what the car might come across, right? So we've got, to, we've got to accept some level of error. But okay, if it happens 12 times, 13 times, and, you're, you know, and, and it's not fixed, that's a, you know, then it's pretty straightforward. But what about that first time? You know, that's really the tough question. Um, and I think that people are going to come to, you know, there, there are reasonable minds can differ about, about what you should do about that. And of course, within a controlled testing environment, those kind of mistakes are fine. That's part of developing technology and training an AI. But doing that in the real world where there are real world consequences and people's, you know, lives at risk that is definitely a murky situation. So how much risk management is good enough to say that a manufacturer has done, you know, everything in their power to minimize that risk? Yeah. So this is, this is a really important question and one that I'm really interested in. Um, you know, we have different approaches to risk for different kinds of risks. We have different laws. We have workplace health and safety. We have negligence laws, um, we have medical devices regulation. And for all of those laws, we set a kind of a standard of how much is enough, you know, and um, different standards, uh, you know, we, we have things can be more exacting, right? So for medical devices, which is now the approach that the Europeans have taken for for AI systems of uh, that, are, that are high risk, not just self-driving cars, but all kinds of high risk scenarios like um, you know, law enforcement and so on. The standard is you have to reduce the risk as far as possible and apparently without regard to cost, right? So if you've left any, if you've left any stone unturned uh, and something goes wrong under that standard, then, you know, you're going to be liable. You know, at the other end of the spectrum is sort of reasonableness standards, right? Where we look at, okay, this is the cost of the accident. This is the cost of avoiding the accident. This is the likelihood of the accident. This is, you know, the utility because there is a utility of, for example, getting self-driving cars out there if they're safer than people. We take all those factors into account and then we make a judgment about all things considered, have you kind of met, lived up to a reasonable standard? And there's a whole spectrum in between. And I think for all different kinds of AI systems, including self-driving cars, but including all kinds of robots, including high-risk uh, AI systems in other domains, we're going to have to answer that question, how much is enough? Because you could potentially... Uh, you know, with something like testing, you could just test functionally infinitely for, you know, particular weird scenarios on the road, for example. Um, and we don't want that either, right? We don't want an infinite cost because we do eventually want these uh, self-driving cars, presumably. 
Coming up, what our current laws say about autonomous vehicles and how regulators are responding to this rapidly changing technology. That's after the break. If you're enjoying this episode of The Defrag and you want to support the work that we're doing, head on over to our website, thedefrag.com and become a Defrag member. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, a sticker pack, a regular newsletter and discounts to our merch. Plus, there's a number of other perks depending on your membership level. Becoming a member is really the best way to support the show. It empowers us to produce independent journalism and gives you the best of the podcast without all the noise. So head on over to our website, thedefrag.com and become a member today. When technology moves so quickly, it can be difficult for regulators to keep up. So how does the law interpret something like autonomous driving features where things aren't always so clear cut? Our current laws are sort of, we're in a funny position because not everything is clear. As far as I understand it, you know, the motor vehicles accident scheme doesn't necessarily apply to accidents that are caused or fully attributable to some self-driving function. On the other hand, you know, as it stands in Australia, if you've got some driver assist, you're supposed to be surveying and, and attentive. But then on the other, other hand, um, you know, these systems are designed in such a way that they kind of encourage uh, inattentiveness. That's sort of inherent in the design. So the question is, you know, if you haven't, as a manufacturer, taken that whole system, that whole what we call in academia socio-technical kind of complex into account in designing for safety, well, maybe you should be liable. And I think that is not at all clear where we stand in the law at this point, um, uh, which is, you know, understandably, I think uh, manufacturers and consumers um, have cause con- for concern about that. Mm. We're already seeing court cases involving autonomous vehicles in several countries, and we're likely to see that continue as the technology develops. How have regulators responded so far, and how have they uh, approached the complications around this technology? Uh, that's a great question. So I've just, uh, I think in Australia, the uh, National Transport Commission is proposing uh, an end-to-end regulation for autonomous vehicles anyway. As for other types of AI systems, you know, we don't really have a coherent regulatory response. There are some countries, uh, in the US, they're allowing it to be done on a state-by-state basis so far. So in some states, there's fairly fairly extensive drive uh, 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 regulation of self-driving or driver-assist uh, functions. Um, in Germany, they've got a fairly uh, comprehensive approach. In the UK, they're proposing an interesting approach, which is uh, essentially that the manufacturer should just be liable for accidents that happen when the self-driving function is on or most accidents. And the reason for that is to encourage people to buy um, self-driving cars um, so that they're not worried that, you know, you get in a self-driving car, you switch on uh, the driver assist and it, it causes an accident. You're not worried that you're going to get sued and therefore avoidant of buying the car. So that's, a, that's an interesting approach as well. So what is the, the solution here then to ensure that, you know, the courts are able to determine if a manufacturer is liable in, in any given case? Yeah, I mean, this is a question that's not just applicable to self-driving cars, but any kind of um, AI system. 
one of the features of um, deep neural networks, machine learning, which is the main technology that's driving these kind of systems, is it's incredibly um, complex and opaque. So even you know there, there are up to you know there can be billions of parameters in these systems. So working out exactly why something happened or why something went wrong is really tough. What's exciting is that there's a new area. Uh, which has been called explainable AI, where there are all kinds of technologies developing to crack open the black box, as it were, to be able to sort of reverse engineer from uh, limited amounts of data or limited amounts of input and output data, what happened. Manufacturers have a responsibility to ensure their vehicles follow safety standards. But do they also need to cooperate better and work together with regulators to ensure that, you know, the autonomous vehicles of our future uh, are safe as possible? I, I think that is absolutely critical. I think with regulators locally and with regulators nationally, we need some, well, they need consistency, right? You know, if, we, if we're going to take their position, they need to know what they have to do. And we need the assurance that they're doing what they ought to do. Um, and regulators, you know, it's it's hard. It, it's an incredibly complicated area, you know. And so, of course, we don't want them to be captive to the industry. They're going to need their own experts. But the industry is going to understand exactly the ins and outs of how to get this safety off the ground probably better than most regulators. And so there needs to be cooperation with, obviously, you know, you want it to be at arm's length as well. But, but yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. Also making news today, the DeLorean Motor Company has revealed the first images of the Alpha 5, the company's new electric vehicle revival. The new Alpha 5 doesn't carry much design from the DeLorean everyone knows from the Back to the Future movies, but it will feature the iconic gullwing doors. DeLorean says the Alpha 5 launch edition is expected to go 0-100km to 100 km per hour in just 2.99 seconds, and it will have a range greater than 480km powered by a 100 plus hour battery. There's no word yet as to the price, however it's likely to be competitive with the Tesla Model S Plaid or the Porsche Taycan. Atlassian's billionaire co-founder Mike Cannon-Brooks has been successful in forcing change at Australia's biggest energy company, AGL. The company planned to demerge, splitting its coal and gas assets into a separate business. However, Mike Cannon-Brooks wanted the company to focus on accelerating the decarbonisation of the business. After a failed takeover bid earlier this year, Cannon Brooks went on the offensive, with Grok Ventures acquiring an 11.3% stake in AGL, making Grok the largest shareholder. Using this position, Cannon Brooks encouraged other shareholders to vote against the deal and gained some important support. AGL needed 75% of shareholders to agree on the plan, but this week announced it was changing strategy due to a lack of shareholder support. Because of the change, several board members are out and they're now searching for a new CEO. And British Vault has announced plans to build a new £200 million battery scale-up facility in the UK's West Midlands. The new facility at Hams Hall will create over 150 jobs and will focus on developing new types of cells and battery chemistries that can be scaled up and put into production. British Vault is already building the UK's first large-scale battery plant, and the new facility will fit into the company's plan to build a battery corridor across the UK. Once new technology is developed and ready for production, it'll be manufactured in volume at the company's new Northumberland Gigaplant. The Hams Hall facility is likely to be kitted out and ready in 2023. 
The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced by me, James Parkinson, and Christopher Lawson. For more from us, check out the website, thedefrag.com, and stay up to date by following along on Twitter, at The Defrag. That's all for today. We'll be back on Thursday. 